Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Lessons Learned. I'm Dylan. And I'm Evan. And today we will be talking about the breakdown of cultural norms. And this may or may not be our second recording. Alright, so aside from this being our second recording... Mm -hmm. We're talking about the breakdown of cultural norms. Yeah. Which seems pretty heavy. <clears throat> it is. So it's a continuation of what we talked about last week with these different forms of anomalies and events that threaten the integrity of the known. Right, yeah. Um, We talked last time about the strange and the stranger. Mm -hmm. And this time we're talking about the strange idea. Okay. Um, And yeah, this one he spends a lot more time on. I'm guessing because it's just more significant and okay. less easily explained. So to get started, he first talks about abstraction. He says, increasing ability to abstract makes previous learning established through non-abstract means increasingly modifiable and increasingly vulnerable. So pretty much what he's talking about here is, Well, when he says uh, established through non-abstract means, that's the way that ways that we learn by like doing something, um, order of elimination, yeah, uh, things like that. Learning what doesn't work and then doing the thing that does work. That Just is experience, like raw experience. Yeah, that's a non-abstract mean mm -hmm. of learning. But once you have a set of rules that are more abstract, like don't murder, for example. Mm -hmm. um, if you've learned that over, over time or whatever, um, or even if it's how we think it was given to us by God, mm -hmm. um, once that is an explicit and more abstract rule, then it's pretty much it's open to critique in a way that it wasn't before. Right. And you can create more abstract alternatives to that idea without going through the steps of experience to get there. Yeah, and that makes sense for like teachers because they have to fully understand the the content that they're teaching in mm -hmm. an abstract form so they can reteach it but it also like totally leaves it open to like questioning like what you're saying like murder if you just say mm -hmm. like don't murder well why right and then like yeah I, it's very easy to break things down from there mm -hmm. but just because there there isn't a reasoning and as like i would say we're mostly experiential beings you know yeah like, i think a lot of the things that we really hold on to is like based on experience so without like the train of thought then mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense like don't touch the fire well why right well don't because they learned it's hot but they, that's not ever they're just saying don't touch fire mm -hmm. then they touch it and they're like oh i've learned the same thing they right. learned and perhaps that's part of the reason that the bible is a narrative mm. i know we've brought up potential reasons for why in the past but <clears throat> the implicit ideas that are in a narrative like the bible are going to be a lot more impactful than explicit ones mm -hmm. and we could almost feel as though we've experienced the things that are happening in a story yeah so that might be a more impactful way than like the prodigal son story mm-hmm I mean, you've talked about that a couple times. Because it's one of the few I know, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, and so you could just say, what, don't spend recklessly? Yeah. I, which is what prodigal means. Yeah. Um, Or you could have 
a whole story mm -hmm. that has multiple different moral lessons and you can see the impacts of doing that instead yeah. of just don't spin recklessly. Well, and I've pointed out numerous times, I'm pretty sure on the show at least, um, that it's more than just the prodigal son. It's about like the role of the father, the role of the older brother and mm -hmm. the struggles that both of them face, etc. Like, and I think that's what's super cool and what's super important because even in the Bible, outside of um what what are they called? The stories that Jesus tells that are fictional but have very high parables. Meaning. Yeah, the parables, thank you. Um outside of the parables like from the disciples and stuff when they're talking about actual experiences mm -hmm. that's still a level of narrative that we can really relate to i mean how many times have you caught up with an, a friend and they're and you're like oh well how's it been and they're like oh this crazy thing happened and they're like well i guess i learned da 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 mm -hmm. and it's like yeah no that makes sense like you're totally right and then you can abstract the the core of that story and apply it to yourself but i mean stories are just all around us i think it's like the the most pure way that we obtain information yeah absolutely yeah um and then yeah one, once again once it gets more abstract it's more open to mm -hmm. modification and it's more vulnerable to critiques so <clears throat> next he moves on to say the incautious imaginative and resentful can easily use their gift of socially constructed intelligence to undermine moral principles that took eons to generate or were given by God in, mm -hmm. in our view and that exist for valid but invisible reasons. Such invisible principles can be subjected to facile criticism by the historically ignorant once they take imaginistic written or spoken form. Sure. So that's pretty much what we were talking about, how the things that we do now are probably there for a reason, even mm -hmm. if we don't know what that reason is. Yeah. Um, but people who are resentful or just not careful mm -hmm. or even just imaginative of new ideas, um, they can critique those in a pretty powerful way with language and stuff. Yeah. And we can give up on those older, but <laughs> nonetheless important principles. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it breaks down to like being a language game. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, what was it? Stanford. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Stanford released a uh, kind of new words that you should use in place of other words. And me and Evan um, kind of looked through it. He read and I listened and stuff. And it was just, it was really interesting. But the point of that um, that I'm trying to make is that words are very powerful and telling people what words to use and then giving seemingly valid reasons why you can and can't use those words mm -hmm. is contradictory to the whole point of like freedom of speech and freedom to be an individual and freedom to live your life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people get caught up in like whether something's offensive or not, but the whole thing is that offensiveness is within yourself. Mm -hmm. You can be offended by something or you cannot be offended. Yeah, by it's something. subjective. It's yeah, it's 100% subjective. So mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, well, okay, so I, I take offense to the thing that's said, but am I going to put it on other people and say it's your responsibility to make sure I'm not offended? Or are mm -hmm. you just going to say, mm, I didn't like that comment or I didn't like the way they said this or brought this up and either, you know, you can remove yourself from the situation, you know. You know, if it's just a lighthearted banter among just mm -hmm. colleagues or something, whatever. But, you know, maybe if it's a closer relationship and they're saying some things that you don't agree with, you know, I'm not saying cut them out of your life, but 
consider what that relationship is. Is that something that, is that a new thing they're saying? Or is that something obscure? Or is this something that's been going on and it's really starting to get to you? Right. I think it's, it comes down to like people taking ownership of, I'm offended, but that doesn't mean it's somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. It, it that that's on you that you're the one offended so it need i think it's easily taking into like a make it somebody else's problem because taking mm. responsibility is too hard sure and that's what it boils down to which goes back to using words mm-hmm. against people mm-hmm. um yeah and i mean i know as christians it's really prevalent when and this is a lot of what Nietzsche talked about mm-hmm. dismissing God mm. as a hypothesis or a necessary hypothesis um, had a lot more ramifications because just because of the things that depended on it. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, I want to introduce his next idea, which is the idea of a cascade. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says a cascade means that that threat to the perceived validity of any presupposition at any level generally verbally mediated now becomes threat to that presupposition and to everything that rests on it. So what he's saying, like if we use the example of God existing or not, um, a cascade would be the threat to the validity of God's existence. If that's Mm -hmm. like the presupposition, if you're assuming that God exists, Mm -hmm. a threat to that idea is also a threat to anything that rests on that idea. So like originally something that uh, came from the existence of God was that humans have natural rights. Like we are born with Mm -hmm. certain uh, rights that can't be infracted upon by anybody. Right. No matter what. Um, And so then like with the enlightenment, once they tried to separate from God as a hypothesis they had to try and come up with other rationales for it mm-hmm. and Nietzsche eventually said like all this stuff that we got assuming that God exists there's no way to justify that now right and then the 20th century is you know people trying to deal with that idea yeah and it's just I think you can see a lot of um, just manipulation of verbiage mm-hmm. which comes from you know, those who went to school and they they took the time to learn these things. So you start hearing a lot of people deliberately use larger words or words that you aren't familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I really don't know what they're saying, but they make it sound good. It's like talking mm-hmm. to your dog and you're like saying mean things to your dog, but you're saying it really nice. So they think it's cute mm-hmm. and they're happy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, aren't you the ugliest little thing I've ever seen? And they're happy because it sounds good. Mm -hmm. So then you get into like politicians that warp those words. And Mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate because we can see that not only in like politics and stuff, but we see it everywhere we go. Sure. And you can take things like Christianity, right? And you can say, well, there's all these rules and those rules are restricting. Mm -hmm. And we go, oh, restricting. I, I don't like that. Yeah. But that we know that's not the point at all the, the mm-hmm. point is to give us a guide yeah and you can say those things are restricting but restricting isn't as accurate a description as a guide right like you can say that if you're going through the woods and somebody's like hey i'll guide you you can say that's restricting because right. you're going to take me down one path i want to go down all the paths but it's a guide 
Right. It, it's, you know, you can look at it as both, but the more accurate way to look at it would be a guide. Mm -hmm. Christianity and the morals we follow are a guide. You know, don't have premarital sex. And <clears throat> excuse me, my cough is coming back. I don't know why. But, um, you know, don't murder and to pray and look to God and stuff. I know those sound somewhat ridiculous for those who aren't Christians and stuff, mm -hmm. but there's, there's a reason. And ironically, the only way you really learn the trueness and important how valuable those things are is by doing them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something I've learned is by doing it, by not having um, this desire to just like rebuke everything that I'm called to do and like actually listen to it. I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like, there's a real reason to do that. Like, being community. That one, I know we talk about it a lot, but, like, I used to be very, like, I don't I don't like community. I don't like being around a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I just haven't had good experiences with good people, you know? Yeah. But I started going to church with you and my girlfriend and, and our friends, and I made more friends. And mm -hmm. now I feel like I have a community of people that not only can I rely on and reach out to, but do the same thing for me. Like they care about me and stuff. And I didn't understand the importance of that until I just did it and experienced. Right. It. And I think that ties into his next quote. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's pretty related, uh, an entire behavioral hierarchy. So let's say the Judeo Christian mm -hmm. value system can be undermined by a well-chosen creative phrase because the phrase brings with it as integral part of an integrated whole moral presuppositions of entirely different and perhaps logically contrary nature. So one example I can think of that to help demonstrate this idea of a creative phrase is a, lo a lot of people would say like God is dead and we have killed him. Mm. That's what Nietzsche said. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that quote where that's actually coming from is he's more, he's more like the physician describing the symptoms instead of like being the one to say we should kill God or anything like that. He's just like, no, oh. Western society has killed God. I get it. And like he's yeah. gonzo and we yeah. have to deal with that now. Um, so huh. I, w I would use that, but that wouldn't be quite accurate. Um, something that would be more accurate is maybe the idea of how could God exist if there's evil in the world? Mm. Um, such a fun discussion we've had about that well and it kind of plays off just common sense like yeah mm -hmm. if there was a god that was all powerful of course he should be getting rid of evil so then it just tracks that right but right. you're presupposing that that's within god's will mm -hmm. and that there isn't something beyond that right which we both know which yeah and you can go for it yeah so um that's a i love that question because um we had a great discussion about it i feel like mm-hmm um, you, me and my girlfriend, we sat, we sat down and we were like, well, let's talk about Christian hypotheticals. And that was one of them. And that was such a good discussion mm -hmm. because it's a great one. Why is there suffering in the world? If God is the way he is, why are his followers and, and those who are truly like truly faithful to him suffering? Mm -hmm. Well, because free will, because people make bad decisions because people are evil. So it's not that God just lets things happen. It's that we have free will. And mm -hmm. our pastor told us this, which is that God kind of set up these rules for us to abide by. And, and thus he also abides by them. And while he's 
amazing and the God of miracles to summarize, mm-hmm. he's not going to just break his own rules just for the sake of doing it, you know, just right. for the and sake of being the God of miracles. Yeah. So that's another presupposition actually that you have to deal with is whether or not free will exists uh, because there's free will or there's determinism, mm-hmm. which is like, everything's already determined. You don't have free will, which, you know, has its own issues of like, if everything's determined, then is someone guilty for a crime if they were going to already do it? And, and there's things like that. But that's just so wrong. I think. Assuming. Well, I. Yeah, I sided on the free will well, side in my philosophy class. But. Right. But I feel like. I feel like the determinism idea. I. I and I'm guesstimating. I don't. I don't know many people that don't believe in free will. Mm-hmm. At least none that I've talked to. But I feel like that is the epitome of. I don't want to take responsibility for my actions. Well, it's not only that, it's like, it It was also a thing in Calvinism with predestination mm-hmm. that you were like going to end up in a certain spot and you couldn't do anything about it um, because God already has that planned out for you. Um, but that's silly. But even, it's even just a debate in philosophy as whether or not we actually choose what we're doing or if it's just like biochemical reactions in our brain that are just going to work a certain way and then you don't really have an option. Or it's like you've been influenced so much by your society and how you grew up and everything that it's like, are you really responsible for it? Because like you grew up in it. Um, so I see in that, that is, that's what bothers me. Well, it's I, not just that they're avoiding responsibility because. Well, no, it's maybe, not even that. It's, it, I, I am a firm believer that your environment heavily impacts you. Mm-hmm. But I recently uh, saw a story and I know this is true because I actually know people that have done this. But basically, the story goes, there's a dad, he's abusive, alcoholic, and there's two sons. Mm-hmm. One of the sons goes, my dad's an abusive alcoholic. I'm never going to be like that. And he grows up and he turns away from all of that lifestyle mm-hmm. and he becomes incredibly successful and mm-hmm. very good at what he does. The other brother... But what the determinist would argue is that he had some sort of biological function... <laughs> Or he had something that was different about how he grew up. Like maybe his mom treated him slightly different or something. Or he had a different friend. Then his other brother who became an alcoholic. Or he had a different friend that influenced him in a different way. It's it's a rabbit hole, but it's a whole nother discussion. The, The point is, assuming that free will exists, God necessarily has to let evil exist. Because... The only way to get rid of evil would be to remove free will. Yes. And if the whole point is to love God, love can't exist without free will. Because if God like programmed us or something to love him, that's not free will. That's not real love either. Right. And so like, let's take the, what are they? The little like keychain pets you could have that you would feed and stuff. Oh, the, the Tamagotchis. Yeah. Yes. Like those like act like they love you, but they don't. They're just programmed to do that. Right. Yeah. Like they never actually would. So like, that's what we would be like, unless we actually had free will where we could choose. Right. Well, I, I think an even better, uh, idea of that is Harry Potter. Okay. Who, uh, Baldatort. Voldemort. Sure. I, I know how to say his name, but Baldatort is much funnier. Um, it, who, it was his mom that used the love potion, right? Not a potion. Love spell. Whatever. It, it wasn't even a spell as much as just like the power of her love. No, 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 no. Not Harry's mom. Voldemort's parents. 
He's heartless. Oh, I don't remember that. What? Oh, it's in the books. I'm trying to repeat what my girlfriend told me. I haven't read the books in a long time. So I only watched the movies. I, I believe it was Voldemort's mom. Comment down below if I'm wrong. Who used a love potion on Voldemort's dad. Mm -hmm. So she was madly in love with this guy. Used a love potion. And, and then they fell in love. And they had Voldemort. But Tom Riddle. Yes, thank you. Tom Riddle. So that doesn't work. Because eventually the potion wore off. And then his dad left. And because it was he was born under a love potion. And it mm -hmm. wasn't true love. He is heartless, and that's kind of the whole thing with Tom mm -hmm. Riddle becoming evil, blah, 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 blah. But my point is that making somebody love you is only, like, a temporary thing. It's not real. It's not true. It's not genuine. It's like when you're uber, uber rich and girls are like, or guys, you know, whichever gender you are. But if you're a rich dude and you're walking around like Bruce Wayne and girls are like, oh, my God, Bruce Wayne. It's the money. It's the money. Mm -hmm. It's the money. That's not real. But you know, like a real and genuine connection, you can feel that in, in your mm -hmm. heart, in, mm -hmm. in, in your soul, you know, you can feel those connections and those are so much richer than just making it happen. So why would God want us to just love him by default? I know you could say, well, it could be genuine love because he makes it that way, but it's still not. It's still not. A necessary precondition for love is that you can choose. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. For true. For true love. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. But yeah, that's one example mm -hmm. of what we were talking about. Um, so, I don't think this next quote really matters, so I'm going to skip it. Okay. It's interesting. I'll come back to it at the end if we have time. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's typing. I got to get like a little button pad and play like little songs. Okay, so... Next, he says, human moral knowledge progresses as procedural knowledge expands its domain. As episodic memory encodes ever more accurately the patterns that characterize that knowledge. So, what he's saying is that our moral knowledge as humans uh, progresses as we experience more things, like, more accurately, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's like over time, our moral code is honed in yeah. through experience and stuff. Um, I'll ask what you think of that first. Well, I, I mean, I think that's pretty dead on. Mm -hmm. And I would say it, it goes beyond morals. You know, like when you're cooking, when you make a grilled cheese for the first time, you either burn it or it's not cooked enough. So you learn from there and, and you just, over time, you just keep practicing and practicing. That's what practicing is. Mm -hmm. Exactly what practicing is. And it's a little different when you start looking at abstracts like morals and stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. how do you practice morals more so you have experiences that help define your morals. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, as experiential creatures, like in practice being an experience that, yeah, that, that absolutely helps us define it. And I think that's a huge part of where wisdom comes from mm -hmm. you know somebody who's 50 is just going to have more wisdom not because they're smart or anything i mean heck they could be dumber than somebody in their 20s mm -hmm. you know I, but that's irrelevant because their experiences have defined a more specific way of looking at certain things you know sure such as whether or not you should kill maybe the dude in his 50s has taken a life and is like it's not it's a guilt that never goes away because it can never be undone. Mm. And that's something that 
I'm sure somebody who's actually taken a life could much better express than I could, but you know, it's those experiences in, in your life that mm-hmm. definitely define your morals and, and your beliefs and your outlooks and how you do things and what you do. And yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to disagree a little bit. Okay, go ahead. Because I think you're right when it comes to life knowledge <coughs> and things like that, but I do disagree with moral knowledge. Okay. I don't think we're increasing our moral, moral knowledge through experience. Okay. I think we get our moral knowledge from the Bible. Uh-huh. Maybe we can learn to apply it in new ways, but mm-hmm. ultimately that moral knowledge is already there for us. So I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. I just think that... <sighs> I'm trying to articulate this. It's like it's like understanding you're not supposed to do something. Like mm-hmm. don't touch fire. And mm-hmm. then eventually you learn that it's hot, right? Mm-hmm. So and you abide by that, but at some point you get close to fire and you're like, "Oh, that is very 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 warm." Sure. I definitely don't want to touch it because I bet that's going to be even hotter than just being near it. So like if you learn don't kill, you know, don't murder, mm-hmm. Well, yes, I absolutely believe in that. I'm not going to do that. Sure. But But at some point in your life, I feel like it'll just strengthen your personal belief in it. Sure. But I think his point is that it evolves and adapts Mm. in different ways in a, in a sense that there is, there's progress. Oh, like it'll Hmm. change over time due to us learning new things and it getting better and better. I don't think it'll change. Right. Well, so what I said was. Uh, JP thinks that there's some very good stuff to be learned from the Bible, mm-hmm. even though the most recent stuff was written 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And the older stuff a bit before that. Yep. Implying plenty of time for new procedural knowledge to progress our moral knowledge. Hmm. So, therefore, shouldn't the morals of the Bible be outdated? Right. But okay. he's, I think it's just a contradiction, unless he's talking about something else. But if he has, he hasn't clarified it. Mm-hmm. Um. Because he's using this stuff that he's getting out of the Bible and myths and stuff like that. But that was a really long time ago. Mm -hmm. So unless he thinks that it actually is outdated and he's making it explicit. And that's where the progress progress is. Mm -hmm. But the Bible, we know he got incorrectly. Yeah. And a decent bit of it's fairly explicit already. Yeah. About what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's a bit of a contradiction in his writing. Yeah. That, yeah, I get what you're saying now for sure. Yeah. Cause I, that is weird that he says that we should be taking lessons from the Bible, but then says we should evolve those morals mm-hmm. and like, no, I totally agree with you because like, if we look at the, like the constitution and stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like it's gonna our there, perception of it will shift. And there was amendments that were obviously good right. over time. But like the constitution is the foundation of the country. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why the country exists and functions as well as it does. Mm-hmm. So when we start shifting and straying and changing things like, well, what does freedom of speech mean? Well, mm-hmm. what does right to bear arms mean? Well, right. what, is, what do all these things really mean? And then you start shifting it instead of just taking it at its face value. And I think that that's... Part of it's probably chronological snobbery, mm-hmm. just assuming that we know more because <clears throat> we're more in the future well, than it, the people at the time. Right, but that doesn't make sense because of the Dark Ages. They were farther ahead than what came before the Dark Ages, yet they fell behind. Mm-hmm. 
progress forward isn't always literal progress, which I think is something you've said. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that that can also be helpful to understand as Christians Mm -hmm. that I think it's a part of our society to assume that progress is something that can happen among humans. And I think that technologically it's true. I would almost disagree. Why? Look at a car. Mm-hmm. Look at the cars from like like early 2000s, mm-hmm. right? When you look at it and you open up the hood, it's engine. And then other things, of course. But now open up a car from like 2016 or newer. E- even like 2013 or mm-hmm. newer. There's so many wires and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And my previous car, that 2013 Ford Escape, died because of the technological advances it had. Sure, but... Because there were so many points of failure. But then, like, look at 200 years ago, there was no cars at all. Sure. They were on horses. I, I think it's subjective. I think it depends on what you're looking at. Because you can say horses versus cars, cars are better. But I would argue a car from, like, the 1990s, early 2000s, when they were a little bit more simple, yet had been refined over the years are much better right. off than the cars now. And so maybe something like that peaked, but there's no denying that electronic technology, iPhones and stuff like that has improved vastly in the past 40 years. I mean, we went from huge brick cell yeah. phones to oh, something yeah. that's tiny goes your pocket. So I think that since we've had so much technological advancement mm-hmm. over the past century and a half, maybe mm-hmm. two centuries, that we assume that history is progress. Mm. But if you look at the patterns of humans... Yeah. Over all of history, I mean, nothing's really changed. So I think it's important to recognize that the stuff that's in the Bible is just as relevant as it always has been and always will be. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. Like, I think people start muddying the waters, which is, I I think that makes sense. I think that's something we see a lot in our society mm-hmm. is just muddying the waters between things. And I, I won't get too far into it, but like muddying the waters of like race muddying the waters of beliefs muddying the waters of genders Mm -hmm. and muddying all these different waters because if everybody's kind of the same blobby blah blah then what's it matter like who are you i don't care because Mm -hmm. you're just the same blobby blah blah as everybody else is Mm -hmm. but you can't look at technology history morals and moral structures you can't look at all those things the same and i feel like most things you can't look at them as the same which is something you pointed out to me which is um how your mom was kind of picking out cars. She picked it out because she liked the comfort and look, and I picked it out because of reliability. And to, I was muddying the waters of like, everybody looks at cars as reliable or not. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're like, well, no, that doesn't make sense. Cause there's plenty of people that don't. Cause I just didn't understand why people just didn't pick Toyota. Cause it's the most reliable vehicle you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have to redefine and hone in, uh, and sharpen like what we're looking at mm-hmm. and what that means and how it's different from other things. Like history and technology are very, 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 very different. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I wasn't sure, I think we understand that stuff pretty well. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if we would get to this stuff, but we did. So he kind of switches here into talking about instead of like the abstract general principles Mm -hmm. he goes into kind of today's world okay and he focuses a lot on christianity and the like religious institutions and nihilism 
Okay. So that's what we'll get into. Uh, I'm, I started off by using a section that he quotes from Tolstoy, who wrote War and Peace. Um, okay. He's a Russian author. But he was someone that went from Christian when he was a kid and stuff to... When he was a kid, I think in high school or something, someone had come up and said, like, hey, like, God doesn't have to exist anymore or something like that. And, like, they were fascinated to hear more about it because they felt like a lot of those rules were archaic and stuff like we were just talking about. Right. Um, So then he didn't think that God existed anymore. And he thought that God couldn't exist rationally and he couldn't go against his rationality. Um, So here's kind of where he's at. And this is his kind of autobiography. So he says, or in the middle of thinking about the fame that my works were bringing me, I would say to myself, very well, you will be more famous than Gogol, Pushkin, Shakespeare, Moliere, more famous than all the writers in the world. So what? And I could find absolutely no reply. My life came to a stop. I could breathe, eat, drink, and sleep. Indeed, I could not help but breathe, eat, drink, and sleep. But there was no life in me because I had no desires whose satisfaction I would have found reasonable. If I wanted something, I knew beforehand that it did not matter whether or not I got it. So that's Tolstoy. That's some dark Interesting. stuff. Interesting. He's a good writer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's dark. That's mm-hmm. heavy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunate. Yeah, so he. this is where he's introducing nihilism. And oh. this is kind of what... Uh, this is kind of what... Nietzsche helped figure out was that without God, like nothing is justifiable. There's no morals that can be justified in any way. That's not just subjective mm-hmm. or whatever. You have to put your faith in something. Yeah. Um, and Tolstoy is kind of the beginning of the generation that was dealing with that reality. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or I can just move on. I mean, it. I think it's just unfortunate to live life without, having faith Mm -hmm. and i mean like you know we can talk about like well you know there's like ultimately the human body like or the human mind has to have faith in something and like we see a lot of like secular culture brings faith to the individual Mm -hmm. and that's a problem because like if your faith is in within within your individual self you you fall you just do right and that was nietzsche's idea that he tried to answer was the ubermensch the superman okay the man that could come up with his own meaning and that's kind of what part of the book of thus spoke zarathustra was about where he's like this guy that goes up and he says like god's dead or whatever and then he comes down from the mountain and he's like yo we have to create meaning for ourselves here's how we do it Hmm. so that's what nisha was trying to solve yeah no (laughs) no he wasn't successful and he the last 10 years of his life he had like a mental breakdown and like went insane yeah and that makes sense yeah, I mean, when you're faced with the reality that nothing matters. And in the end... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate to see people live that kind of life. Because, like, life does have meaning. And life does have purpose. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, whether you like it or not, for Christians, it's serving God. And that actually brings us a lot of joy. And it's not even like... I can't explain it. Because people look at, like, serving... and I think they think... Like, we say serving God, and they're like, oh, serving anybody is Mm -hmm. weird. Why does that make you happy? Well, it's because God is, like, an eternal, loving being. Mm -hmm. 
And when I serve him and do the things he asked me to do, not only does that just naturally bring me joy and happiness because it's he knows what I need and thus has set the rules. But, I mean, we've talked about this plenty of times and we've talked about this with other people in our church community of just like wild experiences mm-hmm. because like God helped us. And it's so it's not like we're serving him because that's what you're supposed to do as a good Christian. It's like, well, no, he helped me a lot numerous times, like many times mm-hmm. did I feel the presence of God or did God make these things work in a way that it felt miraculous, you know? And, you know, you can write it off as like superstitious or whatever you want to call it. But like, there's so many things that like, when you start looking at the probabilities, it's like 0%. It's such a small margin of probability. It just doesn't make sense to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you have faith, you just believe it. You don't really question it. So I'm not serving him because I ought to, because I'm a good Christian. It's like, no, I want to, because when I serve him, I can bring other people that were in my position that were depressed and lonely and had nothing to believe in mm-hmm. to God so that they can feel the same thing I feel. Right. So they can have that joy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. My nose is a little stuffy. So let's talk about the alternative. Oh, boy. To, to the depressing stuff? No. To the Christian yes. stuff? Yes. Okay. So he says nihilism. Mm. alter ego of totalitarianism is response to experience of the world self and other rendered devoid of certain meaning and therefore allowed no meaning so that's just his definition of nihilism i thought i would throw it in there nihilism just means like nothing matters life is meaningless and in the end exactly doesn't even matter so i think we understand that so i'll just move on i just wanted to get that in there Mm -hmm. um he says Phenomena remain constrained in their affective significance, at least partially, because the group has reached agreement as to their meaning. When that hierarchy falls, perhaps as a consequence of emergent disbelief in central presupposition, nothing remains sacred. So he's saying that everything that we experience has some sort of motivational significance, Mm -hmm. um, good or bad. And that's constrained, like what that significance is, is kind of honed in for us because of our identification with the group and that group's like hierarchy of values. So like the Christian one lets us see things in a certain light, right? Okay. Or really any culture helps it, helps the individual deal with everything in a certain way. Sure. It gives it like a path to follow basically. So when that hierarchy falls, mm-hmm. um, nothing remains sacred hmm. because you have no way of telling you what's important or not. Right. So then nothing can be important. Right. It's a logical train of thought. Unless you're, like we said, trying to do it yourself. Right. Which is ultimately <clears throat> well, a flawed enterprise. It. I, I always think it's really interesting when people look to themselves to find meaning mm-hmm. because like, it just doesn't, I don't think it works, or I don't think it makes sense in theory, because if you yourself are looking for meaning, it means you can't find it. Yeah. You don't have it, and you can't find it. Mm-hmm. So when you look to not yourself for meaning, that makes sense, because mm-hmm. you're 
looking outside of what you don't ha- you're looking outside of yourself to find something that you yourself can't find or have right so when you look to yourself for something you don't have it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. like that just doesn't make sense to me it's like being in a big room and you're like i want a cookie and there's obviously no cookies in there and you're like well i'm gonna keep looking for one yeah and then somebody's like well if you come out this door there's cookies right no i'm gonna stay in the room and i'll find one mm-hmm. oh okay mm-hmm yeah, well, and it's because a lot of people can't get past the step of having faith. And that's just... Unfortunate. Very. Yeah. I feel bad. I don't know how to, like, help somebody right. understand that. I think bring them to the pond, but they have to drink from it. That's true. So, um, I'm going to get one last quote in okay. for us. Uh, this. So, now he's talking about the importance of religious institutions. Oh, okay. So... This is not to say that religious institutions and dogmas are not prey to the same weaknesses as all other human creations. Because, like, you know, the church can be corrupted and stuff like Uh, that. Yes, yes, okay. They obviously can be prey to the same weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ideas and patterns of actions that underlay and generated those institutions remains of critical importance, however remain important for sustaining individual emotional stability, maintaining group tolerance, cohesion and flexibility, supporting capacity to adapt to the strange, and strengthening to, uh, wait, and strengthening ability to resist domination by one-sided and murderous ideologies. He then says, the idea that we have superseded such thinking is prime example of the capacity of the semantic system, or language, abstract language, to partially represent and to thoroughly criticize. This is wrong, arrogant, and dangerous. Hmm. So pretty much what he's saying is that even though religious institutions and stuff like that, or dogmas, can be corrupted and stuff by humans, like mm-hmm. everything else, right? the ideas and patterns of action that are under those are still super important mm-hmm. for like, and he lists a bunch of stuff, but you know some of the big ones, emotional stability, um, adapting to strange things, resisting domination by ideologies Mm -hmm. like they're absolutely still critical what they do and part of that's the faith that they give and i really liked that one at the end that the idea that we have superseded such needs Mm -hmm. for those kinds of uh institutions or the ideas that come from them at the very least um is wrong arrogant and dangerous yeah that's it's so interesting to hear him say things like that Especially at the time of writing this, because he's not Christian, mm-hmm. you know? So it's really interesting to hear him say that and then go, I'm not a Christian, though. Right. Well, and I mean... Or I'm not of any faith, you know, like, yeah. let alone Christian. I'm not of any faith. And it's kind of like Nietzsche, <coughs> where Nietzsche was not Christian. He didn't like the Christian church. He didn't believe in God in any, mm-hmm. or anything like that. But he absolutely still recognized the importance of it. I okay and see in this this is exactly like it's not even Christianity that like is the turn away right now mm-hmm. it's the people that represent it mm. that's the problem mm-hmm. and like that's why like being in a good community is important and like ah oh, I can't I can't articulate this concisely but like my point is, is it's very unfortunate and very frustrating as a Christian to know that people are turned away from Christianity because of other people's actions while taking the name Christian. Right. And it, it's just so disheartening. And like, 
I, I wouldn't want to be that person. I would not want to be the Christian who says, I'm Christian, and then does not Christian things to people mm-hmm. because I can't imagine what that's like as, like, God. You know, he's like, hey, like, you're Christian. You have faith in me. I'm calling you to make disciples. And you're like, I'm a Christian. And then, you know, you run around cussing at people mm-hmm. and beating your kids and you're an alcoholic and stuff. And people will go, oh, I don't want to be a Christian. Like, he knows it's going to happen. But, like, man, I feel like that's just one of the most frustrating things you can do. Yeah. But then our pastor say that hypocrisy is, like, one of the most, like, vile things in the eyes of God. Probably. I know he hates lying. Yeah. Well, and because, specifically hypocrisy. Well, and it's, I'd say, I'd argue hypocrisy is a form of lying. Oh, it, it definitely is. But it's that, and it's also pride. Mm. And I know in, like, the classical works, pride was considered, like, the worst thing. Like, that was what Satan was guilty of yeah was being prideful and i i think it leads to pretty much all the other like seven deadly sins for example Mm -hmm. like for hypocrisy it's pride because you don't need to do the things that you're talking about because you're better than that Mm, okay um but yeah absolutely it sucks that it's it represents christianity more often than it should yeah it it's really unfortunate and like I would love to just like tell people go to this church because it's our church and it's really awesome. And it's just got great people there, mm-hmm. but like we're in Colorado. I can't tell that to somebody in like South Carolina. Right. That doesn't make any sense. They like, do stream though. They do stream. <clears throat> they stream. Um, but it, you know what I mean? It just doesn't yeah. really ultimately like make sense to mm-hmm. do that. So then it's like, well, how do we help people understand like, being aware of what to look for and it just goes down a huge rabbit hole of like ultimately it's disheartening and frustrating yeah so (sighs) but still absolutely important very important yes (laughs) for us to be able to act yes because without some sort of faith in something Mm -hmm. all that's left is nihilism and nothing matters and that's uh so uh i feel like when those are the alternatives you know Faith. Why would you not want yeah. the faith? But yeah. Well, any other closing remarks? I don't think so. I have a hundred, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want to start another hour conversation. So, if you got nothing to say, I got nothing to say. I'm good. Thanks for watching this episode of Lessons Learned. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe got a little something something out of it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.